good to see everybody this morning. I see everybody has their coats still on. That's why I'm still wearing my vest. I have to talk with Rich. It's a little chilly in here. Maybe they're trying to save money. Who knows? But anyway, it's good to be with everybody this morning. If you're new with us today, um, we're just glad to have you with us. Uh, We are five weeks into a 30-week study in the Gospel of Matthew, and our theme for the sermon series is King Jesus and His Kingdom of Hope. Our, uh, what we want to see is we want to see Jesus. We, we want to know Him. We want to know Him as King. We also want to know that His kingdom is a kingdom of hope in a world that takes away our hope so many times in so many ways. And so we've been doing this. Who is this Jesus was sort of what we first began to look at. Who is He? Well, He was born of a virgin. He was born a king the son of Abraham, the son of David, the new Moses, the deliverer, the Messiah, the son of God, God in the flesh. This is the first few, like first few verses begin to tell us this is who Jesus is. He fulfills all the prophecy of the messianic king who's to come as the Messiah, the the one who is going to deliver. Hebrews 1 tells us that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory meaning that he brought the character of heaven to earth in his humanity, that in him and seeing him, we are seeing God's heart and God's character in the way that he lives. So we're going to walk with Jesus through Matthew. We're walking with him through Matthew, right? From a supernatural and, and eventful birth, there's only one glimpse of Jesus before he starts his ministry at 30 years old. And that's when he remained in the temple after his family visited uh, they were on the road after, after the visit. Joseph thought that Mary had him. Mary thought Joseph had him. Nobody had him. He was lost. And then they went to try to find him. And, of course, where was he? He was in the temple. And he basically said to them, did you not know I would be in my father's house? And then after that, he goes home, and literally he disappears until the appearance of John the Baptist, preaching and baptizing in the wilderness. This fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 40, verse 3, the one who would come before the Messiah, crying in the wilderness to make straight the path of the Lord. And we saw this as Matthew brings it to us, and this revealed to Jesus that it was his, now his time at this appearance, the fulfillment of this prophecy was now his time to start his ministry. And Jesus began his ministry proclaiming, the kingdom is here, repent. He gets baptized by John. As Josh mentioned in his sermon, it seems strange, right? Why would John be baptizing Jesus? It seemed to be the other way around. But no, as Jesus said, this is to fulfill all the law. This is to fulfill the prophecy. And that is baptism. God proclaims that he is the son in whom he is well pleased. The spirit descends as a dove. Jesus, John tells his disciples that this is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Go follow him. People heard these words from God and John and began spreading the news. Can you see it? If you've been watching The Chosen, if you've ever watched The Chosen, you, you see it, right? What happened is that it sort of began in a whisper, right? I, I think it might be the Messiah. I mean, everything he's doing, it's, 
Like, is this the promised king? Is this the promised Messiah? And you can see people whispering this, but then Jesus continues with his ministry, and he begins, uh, the, the first thing he does is go into the wilderness, right? And in the wilderness, he's tested 40 days and 40 nights, but he does not sin. He does not fall prey. And that prepares him to go forth. And then he calls the disciples to go with him. And then he begins to perform miracles. And then he begins to teach. And his teaching is so full of wisdom and so full of authority that people are in awe of what's going on. We've never heard anything like this. And the next thing you know from the whisper that now there are thousands of people following him when he does the Sermon on the Mount. Thousands of people following him. And I was thinking about this. Like, just think about this. He's a phenomenon at this point. And in religious circles, I was thinking, where is the last time I saw something like that? 2015, the Pope visited America. Do you remember that? The Pope visited Philadelphia. You want to put that picture up? Look at that. Thousands and thousands of people came to see the Pope. Now, I'm not saying the Pope was a phenomena like Jesus was, but you get this idea of all these people coming. Now, put up the next picture. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Thousands of people listening to him as he preaches the Sermon on the Mount. And remember, no phones, no Facebook, no Instagram, no Snapchat, no TikTok, no multimedia platform, only word of mouth. Think about that. People were walking for days. Are you able to envision the excitement what people were talking about. Have you experienced this in your walk with Jesus? See, this is what we want. We can get as much head knowledge as we, as we can. We can talk about all these interesting things, but we need to know this Jesus. We need to be excited about who he is. Has that ever happened to you? Teenagers, has it ever happened to you that you, you got so excited about the knowledge of who this Jesus was that sort of hit your heart? I know for me it's happened, and I want, to ha- I want it to happen again and again. That's why I've been praying that we would be, this would be illuminated to our hearts, that it would be illuminated to our hearts. It wouldn't just be some head thing. That head thing isn't going to last. It's the knowledge of that person who Jesus is, who loves us so much, that he is the king. He's the radiance of God's glory. That's what we want the Holy Spirit to be doing in us. And here's Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. And what is he doing? His teaching is revolutionary. It's turning everything upside down. It's blowing their minds. He's taking their worldview and he's destroying it. That's what's happening here. The Beatitudes are a description of a new system of values and characteristics that are a product of a life energized by the Spirit of God. They're exclamations, right? Not pious hopes. But Jesus is proclaiming what is in Jesus. This is the reality for those who are poor in spirit, who are meek, and who are those 
who are mourning over their sin, that they will hunger for righteousness, that they will be people of mercy, they will be pure in heart, they will be peacemakers. They'll even face adversity and persecution, but all of that means they're going to be salt and light. How powerful is that? That's where he's going with this. And I love this idea because we're living in an age of influencers, are we not? How many of you have influencers that you follow? No, nobody's going to raise their hand. You know, so there are, there are mega influencers, one million or more. Who's got the most? Who's the biggest influencer? Anybody know? It's a soccer player. Ronaldo. 560 million people listen to him. So if anybody wants to advertise for him, they got to give him $2 million just to get, have him mention their name. Influencer. We live in a culture of influencers, and we go through the list of all that. But we, brothers and sisters, who live out the Beatitudes are influencers. Just as these people influence what people might buy, whatever they do, when we bring Christ when we bring the proclamation of the good news, when we live it out in our lifestyle, we are influencers. And that's where, he's, that's where he's going with this. So as influencers, one of the things that Josh preached on last week was we, as Christ says, is we are to surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees themselves. What does this mean? What does this lifestyle look like? Jesus gives us six illustrations. He presents it by contrasting what has been taught by the scribes and Pharisees to what he is now teaching as the original intent of the law as expressed in the commandments God gave to Moses and the people of Israel. Now, that takes from chapters 521 to 48. I'm not going to read it. What I did is I put together a chart that you have on there, and I'm going to summarize them. Because what basically he does is he says, you've heard this, and now I'm telling you this. He's presenting an antithesis because he's basically saying what man has taught, what man has done with the commandments has basically ruined what the commandments are supposed to be all about. And so here are the topics that he does, these six illustrations. The first one, he says, you are, or you have heard it said, do not murder. But I tell you, and what does he tell them? He says, even anger, even defamation of somebody's character, character assassination, talking about somebody, gossiping about somebody, that's murder in the heart. So treat people with dignity. The, what this is saying is treat people with dignity. Do not commit adultery. Where are your eyes going and your thoughts? But I tell you, have purity in marriage. Men, you quickly get divorce certificates so that you can go to someone else who's going to please you. No faithfulness in marriage. Do not break an oath. Do not swear. Keep your word. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. 
You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, no, offer grace and serve one another. Be ready to forgive. You've heard it said, love your neighbor. Hate your enemy. And I say, love as God loves. Love your enemy as God loves you. As Jesus loves you on the cross when you were his enemy. And listening to these words must have been staggering. Was it not the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that both interpreted the law into 248 regulations and 365 prohibitions and followed them, therefore being honored as righteous? It was the Pharisees who accused Jesus of abolishing the law. But in fact, they were the ones who were abolishing it. Their traditional interpretations of the law weakened its power to search the motives of men and women's hearts. It became more and more a man-made law dealing with an external action rather than the heart motivation. Obedience to the law for them was a heavy task, and their ministries placed heavy burdens on the shoulders of those who followed them. They were the true legalists. Jesus said as much with these words from Matthew 23, 4. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men and women's shoulders, but they themselves do not lift a finger to move them. But the law of God was not a burden on Jesus' shoulders. This is, this is what we need to understand. It was written in his heart. Jesus enjoyed doing God's will. He said in John 4.34, My food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to finish his work. My food, what I delight in, what I pleasure in. If you could put that chart up, this is what Jesus did in fulfilling the law. Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. How did he fulfill the law and the prophets? By keeping it perfectly and setting an example for us, thus making himself the perfect sacrifice for sin and fulfilling all the prophecies. That's what Jesus is doing. And in his lifestyle, that's what we see him doing. He's doing the will of the Father. And here's the thing. He's basically announcing that now through the ministry of his spirit, Jesus writes the law on the hearts of those who believe in him, those who come, those who repent of their sins. This is at the heart of the new covenant promises, right? Jeremiah 31, verse 31, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you in your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You see, because this is true, God's law is not, it's not longer an external rule that we find burdensome, but now we have a heart desire to live it. Have, have you noticed that in your heart? I, I remember when I first came to the Lord, and all of a sudden I began doing things that I thought I'd never do. That ever happened to you? I began dreaming in different ways. I mean, I literally dreamed differently. It was, it was the strangest thing. 
but I realized it's, it was this. It was the fulfillment of this, that the, that the Spirit was changing my heart. That I literally wanted to do things to please God. And this is what he's talking about. And that's why in, this, in the uh, Beatitudes it says, you're going to hunger and thirst for righteousness. That the new Spirit in us is going to give us a hunger and thirsting to live out the character of heaven on earth. To live out the law in a way that's a delight. That's, that's sort of where he goes with this. It's a mistake that Jesus was abolishing the commandments. You know, people say, well, all we need is love. Yes, we need love. Absolutely we need love. And Jesus broke it down to love God and love your neighbor, did he not? But it's the commandments, it's the laws that describe how we Love, what it is. John the Apostle of love makes this clear a number of times. In John 14, 15, if you love me, you will obey what I command. In John 15, 10, if you obey my commands, you will abide in my love. Love for God means keeping his commands. See, the law expresses the character of God and his will for our lives. It teaches what true character is. And it does it by, by, by doing this. You, you'll see this, so I wish I had it bigger here. But this says the Ten Commandments. Can you guys see that? Like the stones of the Ten Commandments. There's the Ten Commandments. When I look at the Ten Commandments, it's like looking into a mirror. And what do I see? I see what's in my heart. That's what it's all about. You see, when I, when I look at the law, when I look at the commandments, with the work of the Holy Spirit, it reveals my heart. It reveals the attitude of my heart, the motives of my heart. And it's the Holy Spirit's work that begins to move in us. See, this is where Jesus is going with this. It isn't about external things, and we're going to get to the reason why in about a minute or so as we move forward, but it's not just about this external thing. It's about the quality of that and about the motives behind that. And that's what the law was made to do. It was meant to show us that we were incapable of this apart from the help of God. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. Listen to Romans 8, verses 1 through 6. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Brothers and sisters, the Spirit is alive in us, able to reveal to us what's going on in our hearts, but more than that, giving us a hunger 
to live out this character of heaven. It's, it's this idea that we see in the scripture that we sometimes miss, but it says in Romans 8, and it says in 2 Corinthians 3, that we are going to be conformed to the image of the Son. Think about that for a second. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory as he walks this earth. He reveals the character of God in all his actions, and we're going to see this as we're walking through the Bible with him. We're going to see how he responds to people, how he loves people, how he doesn't judge people, how, how he's willing to face conflict. We're going to see that he's even willing to suffer keeping it in the hands of God, trusting God's plan, knowing him as Father in this radiance. And now the Spirit's coming in. The law is now written in our hearts. So like Jesus, we're learning to delight in this will. It's food for us. As we're doing that, we are now becoming the radiance of God's glory as we're living out our lives. And people are seeing us, and they're seeing God on display. They're seeing the love of God on display. And in that way, we influence Everybody around us. But it's a promise that we're going to be conformed to the image of the I love that promise. When he appears, we're going to be like him. Hallelujah. I don't want to be like me. I'm too cynical. I'm too judgmental. I, last, I lust after the wrong things. I can go on and on, right? But I'm going to be like Jesus. That's who I want to be like. I used to like all the Marvel heroes. But I want to be like Jesus. That's who I want to be like. That's where he's moving towards. So as he moves in on this, he's, he's some, doing something so amazing. He's breaking it down and saying, look what's going to happen. Look at this progression that's taking place. You're not going to have murder in your heart. You're not going to lust after people. You're, you're going to be someone whose yes is yes and no is no. You're going to actually serve and give grace to somebody. And ultimately, you're going to love your enemy. Come on now. How powerful is that? That's the motivation. Martin Luther King has this to say. Hate multiplies hate. In a descending spiral of violence, and is just as injurious to the person who hates as to the victim. Get that? Just as injurious to the person who hates as to the victim. But above all, love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend, for it has creative and redemptive power. Now that comes right from the scripture. Love has creative and redemptive power. Jesus loved his enemies when he went to the cross. That's you and me. And now because of that creative, redemptive power, we now have the ability to be transformed from the inside out. That's what he's talking about. We're being transformed from the inside out. We have been given a new heart. We have a new Lord. We have a new way to move forward because we have the law of God that tells us this is what love is. We have the Holy Spirit empowering that in that. We have conviction of sin and forgiveness of sin. How powerful is that? How powerful is that? We're being transformed from the inside out. What comes out of the heart more and more what comes out of our heart by God's grace will be more like Christ and less like our flesh and ourselves. 
And that's what he's talking about here. This is what he's presenting. Imagine listening to that for the first time. Imagine having lived your whole life with all these rules and regulations and prohibitions, and all of a sudden, I love what they do. In the, I'm going to go back to the Chosen. If you haven't seen it, they have, this, they have the Sermon on the Mount. And what happens after that is everybody has to go to different people because God is, that sermon has impacted people in many, many different ways. That's what it's all about. The world was turned upside down. Our lives are turned upside down by this. And we're being transformed from the inside out so that what people see is real. And that's where he moves next. So Chambers says this, the characteristics of a disciple is not that they do good things, but that they are good in their motives, having been made good by the supernatural grace of God. The only thing that exceeds right doing is right being. And so where does Jesus go? He goes right to the motives. He says, here's the quality of that life. Here's the quality of love. This is how you love. This is what love looks like from the heart. But guess what? Also, the motive of that heart is important. Many people can go out there and act it, but the motive of the heart is most important. So that's how he moves into chapter 6. Listen to what he says in verse 1 of chapter 6. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them, if you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. <laughs> in saying this, Jesus is what? He's directing attention to motives. Why do we do something is as significant as what we do. We were just talking about this in First Peter class. Jason was just talking about this. We were just discussing this. Three illustrations, giving, praying, and fasting. The motive of putting yourself forward to enhance your reputation doing it for show but here's what he says then that recognition is your reward you have no reward from the father whoa wait a second what this motivation right that temptation's all over the place is it not think about it for a second when i first became a christian i was working in the restaurant business I was, I, at that point, I went from bartender to waiter. I was waitering. Uh, what people would do, uh, you probably get done at 1 o'clock at night. People would go to after-hours clubs, have a drink or everything to sort of unwind. Um, people would we do more than one drink. There'd be a lot of drinks taking place. Um, but I remember saying, well, I can go and just have a drink, and I can, I can act pretty cool because I'm a Christian now. But, you know, um, I'll be a testimony that way. <laughs> Well, one night I was driving home and the Holy Spirit said, what kind of testimony are you? You're just trying to put yourself out there like you have all this self-control and you can do that. It just lowered, lowered me, man. It just went bang. And uh, the next thing I know is we're out there street preaching on 2nd and South. I worked at Downey's and I remember there I am street preaching and there are people that I work with going by and I remember the temptation. Oh my gosh, I'm embarrassed by this. I can't believe they're going to see me doing this. And then I remember the Holy Spirit just going, this is what you're intended to do. And if they're going to ask you about anything, let them ask you about the Lord, you know? And it was just so deep conviction in my life. But I've, I've been thinking about it. How does that translate into today? Well, I'm now a little older. 
And I live in a culture that doesn't appreciate older people that much. And as you get older, you begin to think, like, do I have value? Have I become antiquated? Do people value anything you say? And I, again, think about this, and I think, it's not all about recognition. It's not about you do these things because you're doing them unto the Lord. Your motive should be that you're doing them for God's glory. It has nothing to do with you. And that's where he was going with this motivation. This is where he was heading with this whole idea. So he hints now that the real trouble here with the heart and the heart of a hypocrite is that they do not know God as their heavenly father. This is where he goes with this. They're insecure before God. Therefore, they seek security in what others think about them. Now, think about that for a second. See, the Pharisees treated God as a slave driver, not a father who they could trust, who loved them, who gave them good things. They never entered into a gracious relationship with the father. Jesus says in Matthew 23, 15, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. They were graceless. The Pharisees' view of God is actually shared in all of human nature, is it not? It was the first temptation in the garden. What was it? You can't trust God. Why would he tell you that? Because he knows that there's something good in that that he's not going to give you. And there was the first temptation not to trust God as the creator father who loved you and had every good thing for you. So let me move on my own. I know what's best. I'm going to be God of my life. And out of that, of course, is what we have in the mess of our humanity right now. But it was this idea. God is not a good father. And in this section, chapter 6, Jesus refers to God as father ten times. And see, we're never going to escape from our pride and insecurity until we're convinced that God is a good, good father who I can trust. How different is my life when I know that everything I have, I can trust through the Father who's made all these promises, and they're all yes and amen in Jesus. What is this like? Romans 8, 14 to 16. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Abba, Father. God of the universe, creator of all things, indescribable. Our Father, who loves us so much that he would send his Son. Our Father, where nothing is impossible, who has a plan that's good for us. Our Father. Do you rest in that? You find it hard to rest in that. 
Spurgeon has this to say. It's a quote there. Abba, Father, if you can say that, it is sweeter than the music of angels and cherubim. There is heaven in the depth of that word, Father. There is all I can ask, all my needs could demand, all my wishes might desire. I have all in all to all eternity when I say, Heavenly Father. Wow. When you say Heavenly Father, is that what's coming out of your heart? You see, knowing God as Father is key to all these things that Jesus is talking about. As I know God as Father, as I know that His goodness and I can trust in Him, then the things He says through His Word I can trust in and I can follow those things and watch that life become something that's so powerful and uh, such an influence both in my family and all around me because I am reflecting the radiance of God's glory. That's, that's it. And so the heart motivation comes because I know God this way. If I didn't know God this way, I'm always struggling, am I not? Because if God's not, then why would I do that? Why would I do that? Why would I put myself in jeopardy if somebody rejected me? Why would I give up that money when I really need it for security? Why would I do this if I can trust God? But when I trust God and I know that he's able to give me all things and he's promised to give me all things and he has my future in his hands, then I begin to live differently. And the motivation of my heart changes. And so in knowing, but then we go. Now I can go to the Father when I struggle. And this is where Jesus goes with this. He teaches them to pray. Listen to this. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This prayer underlines life's priorities and it helps us get them in focus. Think about this. The worship of the Father. The first thing is, going to the Father, recognizing Him as Father, and thanking Him as a good, good Father. You are my Father. Then the kingdom of the Father. Lord, we want Your will to come. May Your will come. What is the will of God? It's the commandments. It's the things that He's talked about. This is the will of God. What brings revival? What brings awakening? Have you been looking at Asbury? What's been happening? People have been doing what? They've been confessing of their sin, confessing of their pride, confessing of their distrusting God, and they're laying it out before Him. And revival then brings awakening and renewal. This is what God is doing. So as we pray this prayer, that's what we're praying for. Lord, that Your will will be done. The sustenance of the Father. I can trust Him both for the spiritual food I need and the physical food I need. The grace of the Father that there is forgiveness. How powerful is that? So I can bring my doubts. I can bring my rebellion. I can bring the motives of my heart. And they're forgiven because of what Jesus has done and the protection of the Father. Think about that. The protection of the Father. Think about that. That he protects us when we cry out to him. 
against the evil one who seeks to destroy us, destroy our faith, destroy our families, destroy our world. That's what Satan wants. But we can pray to the Father just as Jesus prayed for Peter and prays for us right now. So we know and we go and the Lord works and he begins to transform us from the inside out. And as he does that, we begin to live out the life of God, the character of heaven. We become the radiance of God's glory. We become those who influence others for the kingdom of God. We are people who then have kingdom hope as we bring this message to others. It's so powerful. How are you doing today? Do you know and go to the Father? Have the motives of your heart been challenged today? You're sitting there thinking, there's no way. Or even worse, I don't want to do that. Or is the spirit in us going, yes, let's hunger and thirst more for righteousness. Let's begin to move in such a way that we are becoming conformed to the image of the Son and we're becoming more like Jesus in a world that so desperately needs Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm so thankful that the Holy Spirit's alive. I'm so thankful that the Holy Spirit's in my heart. I'm so thankful that I'm being changed. And I resist it all the time, don't you? I fight and fight and fight. And when he gets me, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. That's when he gets me. 3 o'clock in the morning, when the guard is down, when I'm awake, and then he goes, now it's time to do some business. No, really? But the Spirit works. Leads me. Convicts me. <laughs> Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for these wonderful words in the Sermon on the Mount. Let's pray. Father, I just come to you this morning and thank you. I thank you, Lord, that, that your work in us is transforming us. It's, it's making us new. We're being born again. We're, we're being made into the image of Christ. The motivations of our hearts are changing. Hallelujah, that we can be the radiance of God's glory. Hallelujah, Lord. Would you... Would you work deeper in our lives? Illuminate Christ to us, Lord. May we be excited about who Jesus is. Let us, let us walk with him in tangible ways, Lord God, as we live out our life each day. We pray for this, Lord. Oh, come, Holy Spirit. We pray. Deepen our knowledge of Jesus. That we may walk the road of trust and love. I pray for this, Lord. Cry out for it, Lord Jesus. And I pray it in your precious name. Amen. Can we just stand before we sing and let's go to God by uh, doing the Lord's Prayer together? Let's just pray it out together. Our Father in heaven, 
hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debtors as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's sing with great joy that we have a feast to go to in heaven. <laughs>